Before we get started with this episode of American Rabbi Project, a few quick things. First of all, if you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to this podcast. You can do so by going to my website, rabbiproject.com, and clicking on the Donate tab. Also, I am officially on the speaking circuit, so to say. If you're interested in having me speak to your group of any size, please shoot me an email, justin at rabbiproject.com. Once again, justin at rabbiproject.com. And of course, I can do virtual presentations. Finally, everyone interviewed for this podcast speaks solely for themselves. Welcome to American Rabbi Project, a podcast about American Judaism from the perspective of rabbis across the country. I'm Justin Regan. I was on the road between August and December of 2018, or to put it another way, it started in 5778, slightly before the high holidays, and ended slightly after Hanukkah of 5779. However, if you believe a trip really isn't over until you clean out the car, then mine ended last week. Regardless, I celebrated plenty of Jewish holidays on the trip. That includes Rosh Hashanah in South Dakota, Yom Kippur in Canada, Shabbat dinners in Maine and Virginia, and Sukkot in Vermont. Episode 6, Vermont, Vitamins and Juice. The message of Sukkot is protection comes from the heavens and not the physical world. So Jews build temporary tent-like structures called sukkahs, where starlight and most elements can make it through the simple roof, and many who celebrate the eight-day holiday spend a good amount of time eating meals and praying in them. It represents when the Jews wandered through the desert, and also has a lot of ties to the autumn harvest, which made it fitting that I went to a Sukkot celebration on a farm near Montpelier. It was at Living Tree Alliance, a Jewish intentional community, or a place where multiple Jewish families live on a shared property. It's a movement that's growing in the United States as a way of reconnecting to the Jewish community, and this event also focused on reconnecting to the land. We prayed, sang, chanted, and meditated in sukkahs made of hay, branches, and regional flora. And that was pretty useful for me. Because at this point in the trip, things were starting to blur from all the driving. So here it was nice to get some quality time with the Vermont countryside. And of course, it was especially great that the leaves were changing colors. This sense of connection or reconnection is the M.O. of Rabbi Jan Salzman, one of the people who led us in prayers and chants. So after Sukkot, I made sure to pay her a visit when I went through her hometown of Burlington. Hi, my name is Rabbi Jan Salzman. I am the rabbi and founder of Ruach HaMakom, a Jewish renewal synagogue in the heart of the Old North End in Burlington, Vermont. We're entering our third year, and it's a happening scene. The North End has historically been the Jewish neighborhood, or Little Jerusalem. The tribe's been in town since the 1880s, when Jews came from Lithuania fleeing persecution. It wasn't long before they built a synagogue, and it's gone by many names across the century, like Ohavi Zadok, Ahavith Garam, or the Red Brick Building. Today, the oldest synagogue in the state is the location of the newest congregation in Burlington. Because Ruach Hamakon is so young, Salzman gives herself a variety of titles, ranging from executive director to chief cook and bottle washer. But like many rabbis interviewed for this podcast from congregations new and old, her most important role is teacher. A rabbi 
uh, is there to answer someone's questions with the background, through the lens through which Jews have looked at the world. I like to describe Judaism quite often as a game of jeopardy. The rabbis tend to have the answers, but you have to ask, what was the question the rabbi was asking? So whenever you're studying commentary, you're really playing this game of jeopardy. We are completely uneducated about Judaism. Very few of us had a, a, an education in the Jewish world that went beyond being bar bat mitzvahed. Salzman was one of those people for many years. After getting bat mitzvahed, she swore to herself she would never step foot in a synagogue again. It had nothing for me. I mean, we were Jewishly, you know, we were family. We had Friday night dinners every, every week, um, but we were not synagogue goers. We were the three-day-a-year Jews who came to the high holidays, and that was it and um, sort of drive-by bat mitzvahs, you know. The conservative movement was just dead in the water at that point, and it had lost its juice. There was no juice. It was the 60s, and we all wanted juice, you know. Things were alive, and uh, we were dancing, rock and roll, and, you know, just everything was so alive. So there wasn't anything there for me. But things changed when Salzman moved to a small town in Vermont. She missed being part of a Jewish community. Her kids were the only Jews in their elementary school. One of the kindergarten teachers at at the public school said, Oh, Jan, you're Jewish. Why don't you come teach the kids something about Hanukkah? I went, sure. And then I realized I didn't know anything about Hanukkah. I had no idea that there was another story there. So I began to do research and I rediscovered my joy that I've always taken in the history of ideas and in the history of a people. And so that was one in. Through teaching others and herself, Salzman found her joy for Judaism. And it was through the renewal movement she found the juice. I was doing a lot of improvisational dance, and I got taken to a retreat with um, the early uh, movers and shakers of Jewish renewal, Reb Zalman, Oliver Shalom, and Hannah Teferet Siegel, and Arthur Waskow, and Michael Lerner, and all these people were beginning, beginning this new kind of Hasidic orient. Hasidic uh, infused, but very contemporary form of Judaism. And uh, I was dancing the Sfi Road and I was like, whoa, if I can do, if I can move, I can do improvisational dance to Judaism, I'm in. Renewal Judaism was started by Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi, or Reb Zalman, as many call him. He was a Hasidic rabbi who sought to bring a new look to Judaism through experimenting with different types of spirituality and the occasional hallucinogen. He met and worked with Sufis, monks, and even the 14th Dalai Lama. Salzman says he crafted a movement that blends the Hasidic ethos of joy with egalitarianism, environmentalism, modernity, and a willingness to learn from other spiritual traditions. Its incubation period was the 60s and 70s, when Jews were affected by the counterculture movement and a desire to revitalize the religion after the horrors of the Holocaust. So if you imagine after the Holocaust especially, Judaism was dead on the ground. It had been cut to its roots. The same, analogously to how, what had happened during um, the destruction of the Second Temple. It was just destroyed. And so it lay quiet for a couple of years, a couple of generations. And all of us who left Judaism didn't stop being spiritually 
oriented people. We went to yoga and we went to meditation and we went to Buddhism and we went to chanting and we did all these other spiritual technologies and then came back to Judaism and said, hmm, I wonder if there was something like that that existed in Judaism. Well, sure enough, there was. And so the infusion of and of what Reb Zalman used to call vitamins. So all of us leaving Judaism came back with the new vit- with the vitamins to revitalize it. Jewish Renewal works to, in their own words, recover meditative practices from the dusty attic of Jewish tradition and serve as an R&D department for Judaism. So that includes things like davenology or prayer labs and yoga Torah study, something Salzman Congregation does from time to time. It looks very much like a, tor- a yoga class, but the leader will infuse the movements with teachings from the weekly parsha, from the Torah portion of the week. Um, there may be kirtan. There's Jewish kirtan, you know, a call and response uh, um, trance music. So basically, use the Torah portion as a way to inspire and give kavanot, give intention, as you go through the movements. Environmentalism is also an important tenant of the movement, and Salzman says those messages are found all throughout the traditional texts. The pilgrimage holidays of Shavuos, Pesach, and Sukkot take on a very different flavor when you are looking at it as they're originally that they originally intended, which were agriculturally based festivals. So one of the core teachings of Torah is the Shemitah year where every seven years you have to give the land a rest. The land gets Shabbos. That's amazing. So you have to rotate your fields so that once every seven years, your land actually just recovers. This is a, a monumental awareness of that the land itself has agency. Certainly the Noah story that we just came through, the, the story of Noah, with the wiping out of all of, of all of creation and starting anew, that has is loaded, loaded, of course, with environmental um, uh, impact. There's also other parts of Torah that talk about in matters of war, uh, you're allowed to cut certain trees, but not other trees. Even just that we are able to get out of Eden by eating the fruit of a tree, you know, like right then the natural world is is uh, spurring us on to be more more aware of the choices that we make. After Salzman was ordained, she became an assistant rabbi and cantor at the conservative synagogue in Burlington. When she left, someone suggested she form her own congregation, and Ruach Hamakon was born. Salzman shares a common belief that the role of rabbi is changing and says it's important to be where she's needed. In Jewish renewal, you, can, you, you learn to speak Jewish in a lot of dialects. Well, I, if you're a Reformed Jew, I can talk to you. If you're an Orthodox Jew, I can talk to you. I know how to, I embrace all the forms of Judaism in my training. It's all good. You know, You know what's not good is when people say, I'm a better Jew than you, then, we're got, then we got trouble. Salzman says it's about looking past the mentality of who's more Jewish and instead viewing it like one of her mentors, Rabbi Arthur Weskow, who says in America, every Jew is a Jew by choice. Because in this moment, we do not have to be Jews. We can be nothing. We can we can become part of a UU, you know, we can do anything we want. So it's kind of a challenge. Fortunately or unfortunately, the rest of the world doesn't let us forget that we are Jews. 
right now we are experiencing an uptick in racial and um, religious-based bias and even violence. I don't know where to put that information yet. I think we're in it now. I th and, and part of we're, why we're in that too is that we've got all this media that's focusing on the aberrations rather than on what is common. I, I want to believe that being in the United States in, in this place in this time is going to ultimately end up being a safe place for all people to reside in safety. We'll see. That's all we can say is we'll see. For Salzman, one aberration is the concept that Jews were always discriminated against before coming to America. She says that's not entirely accurate. We, in fact, spent most of our lives, most of our history, integrated into societies that had lots of different kinds of people in it. What we did have uh, it was a strong sense of who we are. Our neighbors generally respected who our boundaries as well. For example, a Jew's not supposed to work on Shabbos. Well, who milked the cow? So your Gentile neighbors would come in and milk your, take care of your animals on Shabbos. And then they would get the eggs and the milk, and you would do the same for them when they couldn't get to their barns. And, you know, we lived in these integrated communities. We have this, in some way, false sense of our history, where we always had these hard lines between us and the other, but that wasn't true. So I think that that's a real source of strength, to learn more about our actual history, not what we think our history was, but what actually happened, and find those examples where we were in very good communion with our neighbors until, of course, our neighbors came and slaughtered us. So it, you know, it didn't always work. It, by all means, did not always work out. For Salzman, it's important to put things into context. That not only means re-examining the narrative of always being persecuted in the old countries, but also that it isn't a given things are perfect for Jews and all people in the new world. When I was a kid uh, in the suburbs of Chicago, it was still part of people's real estate contracts that they were not allowed to resell a home to a Jew or a Negro. That's only in the 60s, okay, since those laws finally fell apart. You know, I'm the daughter of someone who fought in World War II. So there was the promise that America, the United States, was going to be a place where we would be free of discrimination and could do anything. And by and large, that is true. Why? Because we can pass for white. Jews come in all races from all over the world, but Salzman is specifically referring to Ashkenazi Jews who come from Eastern Europe. Depending on what source you use, they make up 80 to 90 percent of the U.S. Jewish population. The discussion on whether or not some Jews are white or white passing is, to put it as diplomatically as possible, up for personal interpretation. But for Salzman, it's a key part of the narrative of being Jewish in the United States. We have to like include that in the conversation about why Jews have done so well in America. It's because we're white, gen you know, over, generally speaking, and we could pass in a society. That's a really nice thing to be able to pass and, um, and not be labeled uh, according to how, what we look like. Salzman says while many Jews can passively be safe in the U.S., to be actively Jewish can require more assertiveness. 
and the front lines are the holidays. So one of the things that defines a culture is the calendar that they live by. Trying to live the Jewish calendar is a real challenge. So what parents end up having to do is to advocate for their kids so that things don't happen on Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. So part of the difficulty is can a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu, all of whom have calendars that are different than the Western calendar, to what extent can those three groups, and I'm pro- there are probably others, advocate for their calendars? That's the best piece of technology that we have in helping us stay identified, is to live according to our holiday calendars. Uh, and that's a place of learning as well, because most people, again, don't know there's anything else besides Passover and Hanukkah. They barely know about Sabbath, right? So, so reintroducing the idea that there's a calendar by which we live is a really great way to start inviting people back into or forward into, if they never had it before, uh, a Jewish identity within the secular world. It's all part of the balance of integrating into a relatively safe society while also maintaining identity. I think the other thing that's really true about Judaism is, why, you know, they ask the question, why has it survived so long? Part of it is because we have this tradition that began in 586 BCE with the destruction of the first temple, where we began to riff on our rule. We began to like be creative with how we understood what we were supposed to be doing in this world. That, what I call improvisational thinking ability, is astounding. Again, because we tend to be an uneducated people now about our, our history, we have no idea how flexible and improvisational and creative we are and have been in the past. One way Salzman is flexible is when it comes to intermarriage. She herself married a non-Jew who later converted. Salzman will perform interfaith weddings, although she has her, quote, lines in the sand. She says the priority is creating Jewish homes, not Jewish marriages, and the non-Jewish spouse can play a key role in this. So Ger Toshav is a, is a halachic designation of, it means the, the people from other faiths who are living around us, you know, it literally means the stranger within who lives with us. The people who are not Jewish in a family, by and large, tend to be really interested and in, much more interested in creating a Jewish home because they may not come from any identity and they're really interested in it. By working with a couple and introducing the concept that the person from a different faith actually has a role in the f- creating the, f- the identity of the family is wonderful. Despite approaching interfaith marriage from this angle, in many ways, Salzman shares a common concern that assimilation could lead to more and more Jews losing their sense of identity. However, quite often, and I work with a number of people who convert to Judaism, Quite often, two or three generations down, if you, ah, I had a Jewish grandma, you know, and I've always been interested, and I really want to become a Jew again, you know. So there's there's a a hard to identify lineage that possibly 
will always exist, I think. It's a thread that Rabbi Jan Salzman knows all too well. Though she once thought she'd never go to shul again, she's now there almost every day, heading a congregation of her own. It's all to serve the community she loves with the vitamins she acquired to help people find connection. So my job is to embody the archetype of being a rabbi, which really takes great delight and joy in peeling away the husks that keep us separate in the world. So this, of course, that's an image that comes from the Hasidic and the Kabbalistic uh, perspective. But there's great amount of light in each of us. And sometimes we have it covered up. And so my job as a rabbi is to help people peel away those husks that are keeping them from relating to being alive. Vermont was around the time I was beginning another phase of the road trip. The weather was changing, and I was about to enter the vast East Coast metropolises of Boston, Philly, and D.C. I was starting to peel away some husks of my own and figure out what was the real purpose of this trip. And I still don't know if I have an answer to that. It's my own conversation with myself that never seems to end, but that's not a bad thing, as long as I keep asking the right questions. American Rabbi Project, Episode 6, Vermont, Vitamins and Juice, was written and produced by me, Justin Regan. Derek Pova handles the web stuff and makes a good hiking buddy. I also want to thank Jeremy Crones, Beth Vanderstoop, Sarit Rathbone, Dylan Abrams, and my parents for the assistance. Also, thanks to some more people who hosted me on my travels, including Quinn Kawamoto, Adam Fox, and Parker Olson. A special thanks to the Mellon family for hosting me for a Shabbat dinner when I was in Maine. They make one hell of a frittata, and it's parv. More episodes of the podcast and an index of Jewish terms are available on my website, rabbiproject.com. Once again, rabbiproject.com. And feel free to contact me by emailing justin at rabbiproject.com. I'm also on Twitter with the handle at rabbiproject and facebook.com slash rabbiproject. And until next time, shalom and safe driving.